0: This is Geek Gab with your host Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab, for Saturday, February twenty fifth, two thousand and twenty two, and I just sure. wanted to uh, contemplate the awesomeness that is February, being both. Valentine's Day, so it's it's the month of love, and I genuinely have a real question. I'm not demanding an answer;
1: mm.
0: it's uh, it's just a question I'm asking. So, if you have an answer, uh, that would be fine. But if you don't have an answer, that would be cool too. <laughs> Do you know of any reason other than February the fourteenth? why this would be called the month of love
1: I could hazard a guess uh, it's it's not uh, it's not something that everybody shares but I would love to share it with everybody you see last weekend was my favorite part of February which is President's day weekend uh, that's a that's a long work weekend where I take off from the geek gab because I'm too busy hiding in a lodge somewhere surrounded by snow and Douglas firs. Uh so yeah, the good news is that I had a great week off because last weekend uh, I became engaged. So uh, I am absolutely thrilled. Uh that's that is the good news for this week.
0: And I didn't uh I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that on the show, so I just uh, had to approach that obliquely, um, <laughs> lest I violate private, because I mean, let's face it, the internet is full of weirdos, and some large portion of those weirdos are literally psychopathic weirdos, so I just want to make sure I wasn't, you know, scattering personal information across this uh, network of of. Nincompoops. So, congratulations, though. Of course, congratulations.
1: Hey, thanks. Uh, thank you, uh, Simon Hogwood, in chat. Uh, you guys are great. So, yeah, I'm happy to share the news with you, and I suppose the wider internet, uh, though, in my experience, DW, uh, I don't have any. I don't have any internet-based enemies. So, uh, I think we're safe on the weirdos and psychopaths front. I could make some. Uh, give me give me a few minutes and and uh, and an opportunity to make some maybe some use some off color humor or dark humor maybe we can talk about politics and current events I think we could come up with a few enemies
0: ah oh, that's okay <laughs>
1: hmm. that wasn't I the know. that wasn't the topic for today we we're, we're not talking what what is in the news today that we're not talking about I I've I've been unplugged for quite a while. Is Ukraine still in the news?
0: Uh yeah, China just approached Russia and uh told, told them to get their act together and uh gave them a 12-point plan, a 12-point uh list of values that needed to be uh, enshrined in the peace process that they demanded Russia get back to. Uh,
1: great, great. So that's it, happening in in there in the
0: east. No, you 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 gotta understand that number one in this peace process, number one of the values that China China demands that the value of territorial in Integrity be enshrined in the peace process.
1: China. China's worried about territorial integrity. I, I see where you're going with this.
0: <laughs> uh, um, Tibet has entered the chat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent. The... Excellent use of
1: internet speak uh, DW's, uh, that was, that was incredible.
0: Um, so anyways, let, let's get back to the no politics rule because, uh, I <laughs> that, be... was,
1: that was fun. 30 seconds of politics was about all we could take. Um, how, how about you Warpig? pig? How was your week? How was your break?
0: Uh, I did not get engaged this week. So, uh, just, just to let people know, um, Let's see, I worked my gosh darn uh, took us off to uh, continue working on, on the things I'm working on. Um, I had to explain once again to Jeffro that, yes, I, I really did watch absolutely all of, I think it was Picard this time because the new season of Picard has come out and there's been two episodes so far and I've watched them both. And he demanded, uh, not requested, demanded that instead I watch a 1948 film noir that I have already seen Um, and demanded that we start reviewing 1948 black and white film noir movies on on the Geek Gap and whereas i can find some sympathy with that position i don't think that's uh i think razor fist has that pretty well covered you know i think mm-hmm. that's that's well into his wheelhouse um
1: hey what happened to that guy i barely see him anymore is it cuz i'm off social media
0: yes it's because you're off social media okay he's publishing books and, uh, he's continuing to, uh, produce videos and, uh, you know, that's that. Um,
1: I, I tried to get him back on for, uh, to talk about, uh, whatever was going on lately, whatever pulp sort of thing. And, uh, and, uh, he declined. He's way too big for us now. D dubs.
0: Oh, well, that's too bad. Um, he's a nice guy.
1: Uh, so, so anybody here's, uh, Razor fist fan, go tell him to come back on. We we'd love to talk about pulps and noir and whatever.
0: Yeah, I think he he got really mad at me in. Uh. He got really mad at me in uh, 2016 because of, and I can't remember which, if it was my opinion on The Witcher. If it was my opinion on um, Blade Runner or if it was my opinion on the presidential election that year, i pretty sure it was The Witcher. So um, he unfollowed me and, and cut off all contact because that makes him mad. So,
1: well, that's that's the price you pay for encountering people on in the internet and interacting with them, they get mad because that's what the internet and Twitter in particular is for. I'm off Twitter, by the way. I know I did it before and uh, and I, I'm going to make a big shout out to the wonderful guys in the BroSR because uh, the BroSR and Brovenloft were some of the most fun I've ever had on social media. Um, but uh, I was only back on Twitter for that Nonsense and hullabaloo, and I think uh, I think I've had enough of internet. Other than that, I was starting to use it for other things. Uh, let me tell you, social media is worthless dive. Uh, for example, even even the gaming now. Uh, we were just talking about this before the show, uh, using Discord to coordinate online games, which is I think superior superior to Twitter for organizing and managing your typical role-playing game uh, what with, with its chat you know persistent chat channels and the ability to make multiple channels and things uh, but uh, it's it's not as much fun you don't get to advertise and your session reports and everything there that's that's the value in Twitter for a game is to show off how much fun you're having to everybody else in the world or you know the ten people who care. Sure. So yeah, we're 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 playing and organizing through Discord right now. Which we were talking about it before the show because um, I do have this complaint, um, and I'm ready to. I'm actually ready to post uh, complaints and bug reports to Discord. Their audio video is awful, absolutely awful. Even Streamyard, this uh, uh, service that we're using. I don't know what they're using for their audio stack, but background noise is being filtered out correctly. Discord can't even do that. Um, so we need we need some improvement on that
0: front. yeah anyway the quality of discord uh, has not impressed me.
1: yeah
0: I mean it's all right. it technically functions but it's not doesn't function well.
1: yeah it has it has all the features that you want. Um, but the, I think the most critical feature, that audio feature, is is poor. Uh, um, it could be worse. Could be worse. We could be using roll twenty.
0: Roll 20s audio and, and video always seem to function pretty good. Am I wrong?
1: Uh, I don't recall. It, I don't recall if they fun- filtered out background noise as well. Uh, their video oh. was crap. Their video was crap, and the the rest of their service, the features, uh, it's, hey, it's it's a tough job making a, you know, web based virtual tabletop, and it is, it is cheap and barely works.
0: You know, I am, I was just thinking the other day, out of the blue, for no particular reason, um, that like. VTTs are not a great way to do games. They're just, they're barely functional. They're like, you know, if you have to play that way and you can't play any other way, they're okay to play, but they are just like your last resource for playing a role-playing game other than play-by-mail,
1: yeah, it's it depends. If you're playing a Euro-style board game, um, my my best experiences have been on a site called Board Game Arena because they have uh, good developers who love and care about the games. And they actually implement the mechanics of each game that you play. So it's not an open ended virtual tabletop like Tabletop Simulator. And Tabletop Simulator is probably the best virtual tabletop out there. I played a game of Scythe in Tabletop Simulator and it was beautiful. You know, someone took the time to make sure that all the artwork was there and all the pieces. And, uh, you know, you can interact with the game pieces just like you were actually sitting at a table. So it's sort of the other, the other philosophy, right? One philosophy is give the players the ability to crawl, control the pieces as if they were at the table and they, you can play any game that way. And the other philosophy is just translate the game completely into a web browser and get to play it. Well, the translation is definitely superior play experience, um, as you might imagine, but, uh. You know, Tabletop Simulator is really popular. Um, as far as role-playing games in particular, yeah. Uh, I think especially, particularly now that uh, we're getting away from the sort of pre-generated Paizo, Wizards of the Coast map and token sort of play. That's, you know, they've been popular since third edition and forward uh, into, you know, your more traditional theater the mind games uh, that all of a sudden you don't need any of the features in those virtual tabletops.
0: Yeah. What you really need is um, some sort of really hyper-intuitive multi-channel simultaneous chat. Mm-hmm. And I probably and, should and- explain that for the audience.
1: IRC works just fine.
0: <laughs> Go ahead, explain. Um, when you're sitting at a table and everybody wants to talk about the, at the same time, you're going to hear other people's conversations at the table and then still be able to filter them out enough to talk to the person um, who you want to talk to. And have side conversations and stuff without holding everything up, but in a in a VTT, you can only talk one person to one person the entire game. Um, so, like, if one person wants to talk to the game master, everybody else has to shut up, and you can't talk on the side. And, like, review a rule question. You can't lean over to, you know, you have another player in the party. You can't lean over to him and ask him, hey, how does this ranger feature work? Or what is this ranger, you know, what uh, level of spells am I supposed to get right now? I don't have my player handbook with me. Um, So they're just really, really terrible at what real life role playing does effortlessly. And I would argue that what real life does effortlessly is the core of what the experience of play is built on. That, That ease of communication is what real life role playing is built on. And once you hamper that, or remove that, um, it basically cripples your ability to actually do playing the game, to actually do role play. Um, so when I say this is like, you know. the second worst way to play I'm deadly serious because everything you need to do to play the game this prevents you from doing mm.
1: in uh and I agree uh I agree I think in to solve this problem, everybody's invited to my house to play D anD D from now on. <sighs> you're just you're just gonna have to come out to Washington.
0: Well, and see, and that is the problem. Like in Trolopolis, we we have people in Australia, we have people in you know Eastern Time, Central Time, Mountain, and Pacific. Um, so it's just, it is just a pain in, in the rear for all of us to get together and play in a traditional game. It just can't happen.
1: And uh, in spite of that, uh, on a positive note, we're having fun. You yeah, can, we are. You can check out session reports, uh, jeffro.wordpress.com, and what is it, castleport.wordpress.com, castleport.blogspot.com. Uh, we're having fun. Uh, we're we're playing, and the the sort of the once again, AD and D wins the multi. Multi-group campaign provided by the rules of AD&D allow this sort of thing to happen. We can play in crappy, we can play play in a crappy Discord channel, and uh, and we had a uh, DM sick for a couple of weeks, and we all had a great time uh, uh, with uh, with a different DM, and then we re- went right back to another thing. Right, uh, it's. Despite that, it's still one of the most entertaining and uh, satisfying gaming experiences you could have. Nothing does what RPGs do.
0: I heard somebody say, you know, role-playing is like 30 minutes of fun stuffed into a three-hour bag.
1: (laughs) It's true for a lot of bad sessions. It is true. <laughs> and
0: that that was in like 2002, 2003. And after playing AD&D with, you know, um, one-to-one time during downtime, with uh, always-on campaigning, with training time, Um with the other BROSR principles, they liven the game up and for the most part, keep you really interested, keep you invested in the game. And the challenges that are built into the rules ensure that you always have something by and large that is most of the time, you always have something that you have to be thinking about to work your way around. And it is distinctly odd in retrospect, and I'm going to talk about myself here and not anyone else, that I could hear a quote like that, and the thought... Would never cross my mind that that means there's something wrong, not with role playing games, but with the way we were playing them. Because I agreed with that description, and that description held for most of the role playing game sessions I had ever been in. Um, In fact, to where the exception to the rule was exceptional, it was rare, and it would not and did not occur to me that those things were, um, that that indicated that something in how we were playing, something fundamental in the approach to role-playing itself for all the games was messed up that we were fundamentally speaking doing it wrong. Um, it, it that's what is odd to me looking back is that it had never occurred to me that we were doing role playing games wrong in toto, that the last. 16 years of role-playing that I had been doing that despite having a lot of fun clearly something was wrong because I was not having as much fun as I could so and, and my only solution the only solution that came to mind was looking at why I was having fun. And I was usually game master. I was almost always the game master. Um, and then trying to do what I could to make sure that those situations happen more. So that the only way... I could make a game session fun was to do all the work myself and um, make the game session no fun for me in an effort to try and make it really fun for the players. And that I would just think that was the way it was supposed to be. Lots of hard work for the game master trying to trying to please everyone trying to please everyone yeah but I'm thinking now like trying to hold out uh, pieces of food to get an animal out of its you know out of its cave to come out in the sun and if the animal just wasn't what? coaxing 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 the animal Out And if the animal just wasn't interested in this little tidbit of food, it wouldn't come out into the sun at all. And therefore, the session wouldn't be any fun. And it was my fault because I didn't coax well enough. So, yeah. That's a little strange to me that that was my attitude. And that was the expectation that... uh, Through the 90s that my players kind of had set up that if they weren't coaxed into, you know, playing right and didn't have fun, then that was my fault. And it's like, well, players also have a big responsibility, too, to do the stuff they're supposed to to ensure that the session is fun for everybody.
1: The concept of the players it, the, the concept that the players can be good or bad, the idea that the players have responsibility to you know come in and interact with the game and you know actually want to play as opposed to be passively entertained. That's the big that's the big revelation for me. That's the big revelation there,
0: which um, even e- even, even,
1: when, even when I played well, I didn't necessarily, and I still don't, I still don't necessarily have an agenda. I'm not just necessarily being proactive. I'm often reactive uh, to whatever the Game Master provides, but it's still good play to proactively attempt to resolve. The situation as opposed to just sitting there waiting for the DM to coax you out with a piece of meat I like that by the way the coaxing
0: so I mean I'm certain there's things that DMs can do and maybe there's certain things that even the game designers can do to set that up um Uh, this is just a four for example off the top of my head um making it so that players can actually define their their goals and giving them extra you know experience for uh or bonuses in play for uh achieving those goals um that is a game mechanic that exists in Civilization Revolution 2, approaching this from a game design standpoint. Um, But anyways, my point is that you can achieve a lot of fun when there are built-in goals for the players. And in AD&D, there are always built-in goals. You always need more treasure because you're going to be spending it on lifestyle that month and you're trying to save it for the really expensive training that's coming up if you do level and you need it to get XP to level. And honestly, everything else that happens in the game that does not lead you to treasure is kind of a waste of time. Hmm. um and several of the game masters of the Trilopolis campaigns and other uh other bro SR games have remarked that players become fixated on treasure and it's because literally everything else you're doing that doesn't bring you to treasure is a waste of time You are fixated on that goal because that's the only goal that really brings you a tangible reward in terms of the game itself. And so let's take, and this is the only game that just came to the top of my head. Let's take Monopoly, right? What are the rewards, tangible rewards in Monopoly? Well, there's buying property there is and improving it there's money and then there's you know community chest and whatever the other one is i can't remember cards Mm -hmm. those are all tangible things and so when you're playing the game you're going for those things and you're trying to avoid bankruptcy um and in AD&D, there's treasure magic items are great because they help you get more treasure you know, leveling up is great because it helps you get more treasure to gain XP for your next level. Um, but as far as the goal in an individual session, it's treasure because that means XP. It's treasure because that means training. It's treasure because that means your monthly um, vomiting of, of lifestyle. So... Yeah, it's, uh, and speaking of lifestyle, I really like how Shatteron did lifestyle, because Shadowrun had a lifestyle system, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are other games that do a lifestyle system, but I haven't played them. The only two I'm familiar with that do it are AD&D and Shatteron, and I really like Shatterons, because, you know, if you choose, you can spend absolutely nothing on lifestyle. Um, With the penalties of, you know, living in a cardboard box and all your food coming out of actual, you know, tracking it moment to moment cash. Um, Or you can just pay a bunch of money every month and have all of that hand waved. Um, So that means you don't have to be a spendthrift. You can be a frugal person, but there's some consequences to that. Like you live in a crime ridden neighborhood with no security on your flat, unless you spend a lot of money that you don't have on it. Because if you had the money, you'd be buying a lifestyle. Mm. I have literally had, after it came out with one of the templates in, uh, um, I think the second or third Shadowrun source book that was published originally in first edition, where they had pre-bought lifestyle. I always had players who had a little extra cash left over in character creation pre-buy several months of a lifestyle just so they didn't have to worry about it. Uh, And they can enjoy those benefits while they went on runs to buy up their lifestyle because there were tangible benefits. Um,
1: And it's, it's a great game mechanic and copied uh, by uh, video games in in terms of a gold sink it's called the gold sink right what they, they want to keep you on the treadmill they want to keep you playing and in the con in the context of video games the more you play the more you pay and uh that's why and they got that from AD&D, where you constantly and and i know your point is about how convenient and smart uh lifestyle system is but like in the broader context like it keeps you playing it it keeps players invested what are we doing this week we if we're not getting treasure we we are spending our time finding where we can get treasure or improving our ability to obtain said treasure right like though, that's what you've got to do you got to stay focused and it 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 forces players to get good and it's fun it's enjoyable we, we, all love of, we all have the thrill we all have a thrill of winning a game, but for me, the true joy in the true joy I get when playing a game is trying to win. you know uh, because there's so much going on and you're having so much fun with your friends and, and everything like just try to win uh, and then you can see you, you'll be able to find pick out good games from bad.
0: Every game has a, a, a so-called win condition. Uh, Or it's not really a game. Um, And the win condition is not just this vague, we want to be entertained at the table or we want to have fun. Um, My sister uh, has uh, some home escape room games that she bought uh, and that she plays with her husband and her daughter. Um, And the win condition there is obviously to escape the room, Uh, I don't know if they have a time allotted, a specific time that's the maximum time, but if they do, it's to escape the room, uh, that is, solve all the little puzzles that come with the game in the time allotted. So you have a timer running, and you have these puzzles, and you have to solve the puzzles in order to escape the room. That's the win condition. Now, yes, the goal is to be, you know, to enjoy the time you spend with your family while that's going on, or your friends or whoever you play the game with. But the win condition is set. In AD&D, the win condition is to get treasure. Even if you enjoy the session, even if you kill all the monsters, even if you get to their lair, if you don't get any treasure from it, you haven't met the win condition. The win condition isn't just, oh, let's go here and, um, you know, kill this monster for the mayor to save the countryside. The win condition for the players is to go to that lair, kill the monster, because there's a bounty on its head and you get the treasure. And I'm not saying that because player characters are greedy. Player characters in A, D, and D seem to be greedy because what they want is treasure, because their goal system in the game mechanics is set up to drive them to get treasure. And my larger point, of course, is you want to have, in order for a game to be fun, in order to avoid that. 30 minutes of fun smashed in a three-hour bag. You have to have players invested. And in order to have players invested, they have to have clear goals where every moment in the game is working towards those goals. And in order to have clear goals, you need a win condition that all the players know about, that they're invested in, that they want to get to. adD's win condition is getting treasure because that helps you level up. It pays your training. And it pays for your monthly lifestyle. And if you get to the end of a session um, where you didn't make it back to town and bank treasure, where you didn't get any treasure, or you only got literally like 10 pieces of gold for a four-man or a five-man party, you have failed at that win condition. Even if you found the monster that's terrorizing the countryside, even if you killed the monster, you failed at the win condition because you didn't get the single most important thing in the game that the players, not the characters, that the players were questing for. Your characters can be the purest, noblest, shining example of lawful good. You could have a paladin of... Leading the party and a lawful good character right there beside him, and everybody else is all, you know, good characters who are dedicated to saving people in the most noble and selfless fashion. So their goals are all decent and noble things, and they wouldn't think about being greedy at all. But if the characters aren't getting gold, gold the players have failed their win condition they did not win that session so even noble good characters need to get vast amounts of treasure cumulatively over multiple sessions not necessarily every session or in one session even if like the monk they have to give it all away or like the paladin, they have to tithe it to the church, or whatever. Gold is their win condition. If you want players to enjoy the game, they need to be regularly achieving their win condition because that's what in gets them invested in the game. And if they get the idea that what they invest in as a goal isn't ever going to happen or is usually never going to happen, then your players will be largely unmotivated Mm -hmm. because they never reach their win condition and their win condition is just treasure because that's a proxy for advancing their character. And advancing your character is a, D, is a built-in win condition for most role-playing games. And when a role-playing game doesn't have advancing your character, uh, it kind of takes the point out of playing that game. And uh, I'm looking at old-school Traveler here.
1: <laughs> Traveler, st-
0: I'm looking at you.
1: I still don't get the point of that game. We're going to have to sit down with with someone, some Gen or to explain Traveler to me. Uh, maybe Jeffro or... Maybe Jeffro O'Brien understand it, because I don't.
0: You literally can't advance your character. The skills you start with, the skills you perpetually go on with, and That's it. And all these... Cl- Never mind, I don't want to talk about that. I was talking <laughs> about
1: we should we, we we should move on, but I do have one more thing that I want to plug first. Uh, uh, if you want to read more about RPGs and you know and, and our thoughts and everything, not just our thoughts, but the the people that we interact with, uh, go check out Bradford Walker's website. Bradford, I think it's BradfordCWalker.blogspot.com, I, and I plug it every other week. I know uh, uh, he's been writing nonstop about ad and thoughts about uh, the business of RPGs and everything like that. I don't want to go into detail. You just got to read it for yourself. It's good stuff.
0: If you want players to enjoy the game, they have to be invested in the game and have clear goals. Because those goals will drive their activity in the game. They will be fighting to achieve those goals. And the more they want to achieve those goals, and the more they feel they can achieve those goals, the more invested in the game they will be and the more invested in overcoming obstacles they will be and the more fun they will be having because they will be making progress and they will be figuring out solutions to achieve those goals. So you can make it challenging to achieve those goals as a game designer or a game master, but don't ever make it so that they are regularly prevented from achieving their goals. You can even set up your system so that anything can be their goals. Now, advancing their character will usually be a goal, and when it's not, that's going to be... that's going to be a problem because uh, in some genres, that's just going to be the way it is. Uh, but even in Face Rip, the original Marvel game, when you couldn't change your character at all because, you know, that's how comics work. Literally, that's how comics work. Characters very rarely change their power level uh, other than for like singular arcs where they become super and then have to get rid of the power. Um, because it's corrupting them or something. Even they changed it for second edition, where they made it possible to um, advance your power, but it was really, really difficult. took a long time and only did it a little bit, but it had to technically be there for players to be satisfied with the system. Character advancement will be a default goal for the vast majority of games. Um, And when it's not players will feel one of the innate goals will be taken away and you'll have to find something as compelling to replace it with. That will give the players innate buy-in, but there should be other built-in goals in the system for them to pursue. And the thought I've been having recently is maybe... Allowing players to explicitly define goals that their characters are pursuing. To not announce them in public necessarily, but give them to the game master or even allow the group, the adventuring group, to define their explicit goals. That, you know, achievable, measurable, so on and so forth goals and then when they achieve those goals, they get a boost in, you know, advancing their characters or whatever. They, they get a mechanical benefit for it. That will give them buy-in as well, because that will allow them to start pursuing their goals with a concrete benefit at the end, not just achieving their in-game goals. Let's say their in-game goals is, we want to ca- clear Castle Grimskull and make it the headquarters of our nightly order. Okay, great. Um, Now you as a game master, now you as a game master understand what they really want from the game. It may be not what you wanted, but it's what they really want from the game. Now you know what you can set up, and because they're going for it, they're invested. They've defined what they want to do in the game. Now, given this is a theory. I'm, you know, I'm thinking this theory up, but it's an interesting enough idea to be worth playtesting. Um, but it gives them a chance. I think it would give them a chance to define their goals and be invested in the game, and then go out and and play the game to do what they want to do. So instead of you saying, okay, here's X or here's Y or here's Z, you can, uh, which is what modern campaign design is all about. Okay, you need to come up with a story, come up with a villain, and then give players, um, you know, Give players basically meat to coax them onto the storyline to go pursue this villain. Well, what if your player characters just don't care? What if they don't want to go after that villain? What if there's a huge world-ending villain out there, and they would really rather go and do really regular adventuring stuff? They would rather go out and, you know, investigate a dungeon or whatever. What if it doesn't interest them? What if they're bored? Let player autonomy take it, and there's no, you know, let, if you let them uh, define their own goals, that's player autonomy right there to the T, right to the max. Um, so anyways, for players to have fun, they have to invest. If there's a clear built-in goal like gold for training and, and experience points and stuff. That's one way to get them into vest. If they can define their goals explicitly, that gives you the game master a firm, absolute knowledge of what they want to do. And it gives them goals to work for. So they're invested. Being invested means You can devise challenges that they can overcome. Overcoming challenges is enjoyable. And you should never make it so that that is regularly in the normal play of the game. You should never prevent the built-in goals of the game from from happening. You should never make it impossible for them to get treasure. If they fight and fight and fight and do what they're supposed to do to get treasure... You should not make it a regular occurrence that they never get treasure. Um, sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just, there's no treasure there, but that should not be either the rule um, or the majority of cases. Um, and as far as goals go, goal, if you let your players set explicit goals, my theory is, um, it will, uh, and offer and then give them rewards at the end of that, Uh, Commensurate with the challenge of uh, the goal. You know, if their goal is, well, I want to walk across town and and get a beer, well, then, you know, getting the beer is the reward for that goal. They literally got the reward. You don't have to give them more XP for that, but it's uh, right there. Just let your characters have, let your players have fun by getting them to buy into the game so they're interested in playing. Um, Players get bored when they're either not challenged, when they are over-challenged and feel like it's impossible, or, uh, you know, they have to wait to do something. They're just sitting there, which is unavoidable at times. They all have to take turns sorry that's just one little bit of boredom that you can't help um but if players are invested they'll be thinking of ways to advance you know the combat or whatever's going on um or if they're angry because of an argument with another player of the dm and that's just social things you have to navigate that's not really something that can be solved by the game master uh entirely or by a game designer I'm done. That was a period on the whole thing. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd let you know because usually there's a gap here.
1: Game design theory. Let's, let's just move on. DW. You what don't you have any read? other comments? I, I do not. Um, other than I, we're going to
0: add Jeff Rose. Um, uh, Chris's, uh, Machador's, and uh, Bradford Walker's sites to the notes after the show.
1: Yeah, check those out.
0: Um, so, I read Amen. a book called Malazan. Uh, is that what
1: the book's name is? Malazan?
0: Malazan, Book of the Fallen. It's There is a 10-book series, and I had a uh, gentleman on twitter who's been regularly uh telling me that i should read it and um not like every day not like all the time once every three or four months he will remind me and i said so this means i committed that i would absolutely read it so having Committed to reading it, um, I would. Uh, I it took me a while. Because I had other things in the queue beforehand that I had to finish first. Um, having committed to reading it, um, obviously now I had to do that. So I read it. I read the first one, and I'm now like one chapter into the second one. Uh, by the way, the 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 picture on this episode is the cover of the second. So I've read it. And um, the first one was amazingly fun uh, fantasy. It is is not high fantasy. It is... I don't even know how to explain it. It is high-powered fantasy. I'll explain what I mean in just a second. And it's kind of, it's kind of uh, like, I am so tired today. I literally have not gotten sleep since yesterday morning. Mm. Um, So I'm on like 30 hours of wakefulness right now, folks. So take that into account. Mr. Cook wrote a series of stories about the black company that was about a mercenary company involved in a high magic war. And this book uh, is at that same level of uh, grittiness and feel. It is. I mean, it's about a war, um, and the main characters are mostly soldiers, uh, soldier mages in that war, and many of the rest are uh, other kinds of mages or thieves or assassins, uh, spies, uh, and so on, who were who are also caught up in this same war. And it is amazingly and very well done, very powerful magic. Um, The opening scenes of the book involve a battle for a city against a Monumental, I want to say mile high obsidian tower, and the mages who are defending it, and battalions of soldiers and cadres of mages attacking it and assaulting it. The soldiers, who by the thousands get killed and vaporized by the mages on this tower um and the cadre of mages get mostly killed by fabulous displays of magic power that are just tearing up the terrain that are pouring down from the sky in scintillating uh light shows um And even so, the mages deal so much damage to the Black Tower, like shattering parts of it and causing huge um, uh, pieces of it to fall off, that the Black Tower, um, which is led by a magician who is 100,000 years old, that it has to retreat from the battle and cede the field to the army. And their allies, who are men who are human or nearly human, who dress in this chitinous armor and ride massive insects as steeds, Uh, move into the city to take it and uh, sack it. And one of the mages is chopped in half, but he's still clinging to life because of spells he cast before the battle. Uh, Spells that have not been used in the world for a thousand years and are kind of of forbidden magic. Um, And he has arranged with mages, battle mages from another regiment, to come over and perform a ritual to save his life, uh, but not in the way you might think. So, it is... It is a world in which great magics are, while not being common for regular everyday people, are nonetheless known and where the characters deal with great and almost insane levels of magical power um, on a not irregular basis. And they're dealing with creatures of immense and untold power from many of them from literally the dawn of time. Um, And gods are turning mortals into pawns. And uh, two of the gods are the gods of luck, who, you know, one of them is the god of good luck, that's the lady, one of them is the god of bad luck and that's her brother and they have picked a couple of mortals to be their tools in the world and everything is going so well for these mortals um up until the moment when the gods of luck are done with them and then everything's going to go absolutely horrible for them um and there are other gods involved and there are other planes involved, and that's where mages get their magic from, and they have to uh, open a portal to these other planes to allow the magic to flow through them in order to cast their spells, and they can walk through these other planes to get to other places fast, but there are uh, monsters in these other planes if they do that, and some mages have you know, can let these monsters out into the real world to ravage and do other evil things. And it is just a, it's a lot of fun. There's humor. There is humanity in the characters. Um, And the, you would think all the high magic would be boring, but it was well done and it was interesting and it gave the appearance of limitations on the cal- uh, casters, without having a magic system per se. It gave the appearance of having a magic system without you having to have it all detailed out like you were reading a role playing source book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it I does sound a lot like
1: book. it does sound a lot like a role playing source book, to be
0: honest. Well, no, because I'm I'm explaining the highlights that are sprinkled through of the magic. Um, Most of it is about people and their personalities and what it was like growing up in this world. For example, one of the characters, who's named Tattersail, meets another character who is the right hand of the empress. And she immediately recognizes her but doesn't know why. The right hand of the Empress has, uh, you know, given away all their personality. They become this really, really stern, um, oh, uh, implacable person. They have given up all their own emotions, all their own goals, in the interest of pursuing whatever the Empress tells them. And so they've kind of suppressed all their own memories too. And it turns out. That in this world. They go through. Whole cities to find anyone. Who has a hint of magical talent. When they're a child. And they steal them from their family. And force them into. Basically military. School from the age of like four. And. If their parents. Um, object. Things don't go well. Well, the mage, who is the one of the few survivors from this massacre I described, um, it turns out she remembers, and I'm spoiling something here, please forgive me. She remembers this hand of the empress from one of these sweeps. And you're going into her personality and her backstory and her trying to remember. And then you're going into the two of them um, recognizing each other and what's going on. And it clears up why the two of them have been acting the way they have. And so, yes, the high magic is there because both of them are, you know, magic users. Both of them can do amazing things. And if they ever started fighting each other, they would tear this town down. They could tear this town down and kill everybody in it and burn it. And so she's left wanting to take revenge for what happened to her and what she thinks happened to her family, but doesn't know exactly because she was only four. Um, But she can't take revenge. Otherwise, she would be doing to all of these people what had been done to her. Um, And I can't explain all of the nuances without just reading the book. Um, But I guess you're just going to have to trust me as a reviewer when I say, character, personality, matters. And it's not a modern book where People are all caricatures following some rule determined by external characteristics. It's genuinely about people. And they're entertaining people. Um, The villains are villainous. The, you know, there's a person who wants to be a dashing captain uh, and is dashing. There is... Uh, a group of sappers um, who are basically uh, like any enlisted men you might have met in the real world. And uh, it's all just very enjoyable to read. And by and large, the magic is there. But for the most part, it stays into the background except for big battle scenes, which is in a world with super high magic when you would want the magic to come out. But most of the battle scenes, most of the fighting or action scenes are personal action scenes. They're not the big, huge battles. But the big, huge battles are there, and they're awesome. They're very well described. The descriptions let you know what's going on. The way the characters are described let you know what's going on. I mean, I think this is the person's first book, so it's not perfect, but I am assuming, based on the you know popularity of the series, that it gets better as they go along. This is not a bad book, by the way. This is not, oh, yeah, it's good for a first book. No, this is a, a really good book. Um, but I'm assuming it gets better. Who's the author? The author? I don't remember the name off the top of my head. Frank Ma-
1: Mazalan Malazan Malazan Book of the Fallen. Yep. It's uh, Stephen Erickson is the author. That's him. Sounds great. High praise for Malazan Book of the Fallen.
0: Um, I mean, there are other fantasy series I would recommend. Above this, but I would definitely recommend this series um, above most series. Um, as as long as you understand it's a you know it's a gritty series. Uh, it's a war series set in and around a war, so. At least the first book was, and the second book so far looks to be the same. And you get to feel genuine like for the characters. At least I did. Um, And you want them to succeed. This is not one of those books where you hate, because a lot of gritty books are made gritty because every single character in it is a scumbag, and you hate and loathe all of them but these uh characters are characters you uh you know you like there's a a kid thief who is uh genuinely uh likable he's a likable rogue um
1: So yeah. Okay. Great. High high praise indeed. Um. What else did you read?
0: Oh, that's all we have time to talk about today.
1: <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, but it was good to hear. It was good to hear your thoughts today. Um, Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson um highly recommended especially for the guy's first published novel um and uh well I, I guess that's it for this week uh i like to pre express my profound appreciation for everybody hanging out live in the chat hey bradford video mirador simon hogwood hope everybody had a great time and i do hope everybody listening later enjoyed the show uh as for me um i'm signing off for this week daddy Warpig, take it away
0: all right. We want to thank everyone who came in and listened live, participated in the chat. Uh, truly a uh, experience as always. Uh, we want to thank everyone who will listen later uh, through SoundCloud.com, SoundCloud.com, through the Google Play Store, and through the Apple iTunes Store. We, uh, are Geek Gab, we're here just about every Saturday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. You can catch us on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That's YouTube.com slash GeekGab. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.